Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our Thursday morning weekly Parsha Shir. It is Thursday morning, 11 o'clock a.m. in the City of Angels. And I want to begin with a story. A story that was related actually by the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself. He related that on occasion, an individual was brought to the Alter Rebbe, the first Rebbe of Chabad, with a challenge, with a struggle. The trouble this particular individual had was that he had what's called a dibuk, which means he was possessed. The idea of a person being possessed or having a dibuk, it's a true concept, it's a true Torah concept. It doesn't mean that every person who claims to have a dibuk is in fact possessed. Sometimes they're just, uh, you know, they're just um, unhinged. It doesn't mean that every rabbi who claims to be able to remove these dibuks is in fact qualified and able to do so. Some of them are just looking for attention and their five minutes of fame. But in this particular occasion, in this particular story, the Rebbe related, a person was brought to the Alter Rebbe and he had a dibuk, he had, uh, he was possessed by a soul. The idea of a dibuk, very briefly, is that the soul of a person who has already passed on that is unable for whatever reason to go either to go either into Ganeiden or into Gehenim, comes back into this world, possesses a particular person for whatever reason, takes a hold of a certain person, literally possesses them and torments them until this, this, uh, this additional soul is somehow removed from the person. So a person said the Rebbe was brought to the Alter Rebbe, the first Rebbe of Chabad, um, and he had a dibuk. He had this, he had this extraterrestrial consciousness, this extra soul that had taken over him. And people with dibuks will often, you know, will often uh, <clears throat> you'll hear other vo strange voices coming from them. They'll act in erratic ways that they themselves don't remember. So the the extent of this person's damage, you know, what was going on exactly, I don't know. But be it as it may, the person the person had a dibuk, and he was brought to the altar Rebbe. So the Alter Rebbe looked sort of right above the head of this person who was possessed so. And the Alter Rebbe began to tell a story, which, which of course, I'm, I'm saying this because it's relevant to today's year. The Alter Rebbe said, you know, in the times of the first base of Mikdash, there was a Novi called Zechariah. Zechariah prophesied, the Torah says, to the Jews that the base that the base of Mikdash, the first base of Mikdash, that is, was going to be destroyed because the Jews were involved with idol worship. Zechariah lived about 250 years before the destruction of the first base of Mikdash, which, which, which means he lived about 150 years after it was built. The idol worship of choice of, at the time uh, was a human king called King Yoyash, if I remember correctly. And the Jews were worshiping this. Uh, this human, this king. And Zechariah, the Navi, started to warn them that if they didn't stop, the Baisamikdash was going to be destroyed. They would be sent into exile. And Rahman al-Islam, there would be there would be heavy casualties for the Jewish people. And the Jews were ignoring him. And he kept pestering them and persisting that they better stop and mend their ways, as prophets are supposed to do. And the Jews just kept ignoring him. But the king himself, Yoyosh, the object of the Jewish people's worship, 
when he heard that Zachariah was telling the Jews to stop worshiping him, the king himself became annoyed. And he started to send messages to this prophet to tell him to stop. But the prophet couldn't stop because he was fulfilling the word of Hashem. He, was, he, was, he had been instructed to do so by Hashem. So he kept telling the Jews, and the Jews who were ignoring him started to get really irritated by him. Now, Zechariah was a Navi, as I mentioned. Zechariah was also a Koyan. And the Torah says that on one particular day, the Jews warned Zechariah that if he, would, if, he were not, if he were to not stop with his Eichacha, with his words of admonition, they would execute him. And of course, he didn't stop. And they did kill him in the Beis HaMikdash. If I remember correctly, it was actually on Yom Kippur. Terrible story. It had terrible repercussions, which, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But, but this is what the Torah says. The Jews killed Zachariah, the Koyan, and the Novi. They killed him in the Beis HaMikdash. They killed him on Yom Kippur because he was rebuking them to serve Avodah Zarah. And they didn't want to stop. Um, and so the Jews had him executed. So again, that the Alter Rebbe is talking is, is, is talking uh, talking about this, telling the story in the presence of an individual who's possessed, who's got a dibuk. The Alter Rebbe said the regular understanding of the story is that the person who killed him was a terrible Jew, Rahman al-Islam. First of all, a murderer. Second of all, not just a murderer, but a murderer who murders a, a, a Navi and a Koyan and does so in the base of Mikdash, Anyam Kippur. And for what? For rebuking the Jews for serving idols? The conventional understanding of the story that the, that the person who carried out this murder, never mind the people who, who, who ordered the murder, the king who ordered the murder, the people who facilitated it, everybody who was involved, but the person himself who actually murdered this individual, Rahman al-Islam, is a terrible, terrible person, terrible Jew to do such a thing. That's the conventional understanding of the story. Said the al Rebbe, there's a deeper layer, there's a deeper dimension to the story. We can be malamed schus. We can actually look at this individual from a positive perspective. There's something good to be said about him. How can you possibly say something good about a Jew who carries out such a terrible avera? I mean, uh, you know, a Novi and a Koyan and the Baisabitash and Yim Kippur. All these factors combined. Said the Alter Rebbe, the Jews knew that what Zachariah was saying was true. They believed him. The Jews knew that if he was prophesizing that the Beis HaMikdash was going to be destroyed, that means that the Beis HaMikdash was going to be destroyed. Why did they ask him to stop? Because they felt that the more he talks about it, the faster it's going to happen. They felt that the more he articulates this nevuah, this prophecy, the more he's going to make it come faster. So they begged him and they said, look, Zechariah, we know what you're saying is true, but please, please stop saying it. Every time you say it, you make it more of a reality. Let's hold on to this base of Mikdash as long as we can. Zechariah said, I can't stop. How can I stop saying this? I've been instructed by Hashem to say it. So the Jews told Zechariah, violate the instruction that Hashem gave you. Commit a sin. Don't say it. Please, God, the base of Mikdash will last longer. We can delay the time of the destruction. Who knows, perhaps in the process, the Jewish people will do Teshuvah and everything will be reconciled and fixed. 
It's true a prophet is not allowed to be koivish nevuasi means. It's true a prophet is not allowed to keep his prophecy to himself. Excuse me, if he's been instructed by Hashem to communicate it, he has to communicate it. The Jews said, we know you're obligated to say this, but we want you to stop anyways. We want you to violate the, the terms of your own nevuah. And this way, perhaps good things will come for the Jewish people. They'll have more of an opportunity to do teshuvah. And Zechariah said, I can't do that. And the Jews said to him, if you don't, we'll kill you. Not because we want you to die, Rahmanul Islam. Not because we don't believe what you're saying is true. Not because, because we don't believe you're a coin and a novi and all the rest of it. But for the sake of the benefit of the Jews, perhaps if we kill you, the Besamikdash will last longer and the, Jew, it's, the Jews will have more of an opportunity. Perhaps if you don't say it so often and so passionately, it, it won't come to be as, as, as fast as you say it will. And because of that, they killed Zechariah in the base of Mikdash. A Koyan and a Novi on Yom Kippur. Said the Rebbe, as soon as the Alter Rebbe finished giving this explanation about the story of the people who murdered Zechariah in the times of the first base of Mikdash, the possessed soul in the individual that was standing in front of him, the Dibuk, the soul that had possessed this person, flew out and the person was healed. And the Alter Rebbe concluded, the Alter Rebbe said, the soul that, that came down from, from the celestial reality to possess this individual who was standing in front of us was the soul of the person who actually killed Zechariah. And his soul for thousands of years has been waiting for someone to be Malamed Schus, has been waiting for someone to, to, to give some kind of a positive perspective on this because he, in his own way, whether he did the right thing or whether he did the wrong thing is one question, but his own way, in his own way, he actually meant well. And his kavona was L'shem Shemayim. And now says the Alter Rebbe that his, his kavona, his intention, his positive intention has actually been articulated. His soul can finally reach its resting place and it can go up to heaven. That's, that's the story. There was a reason why the Rebbe related the story, which we're not going to get into right now. But either way, be it as it may, that's the story that he related. The story carries the wisdom and, 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 the, and, the, and the important reminder of how it is that sometimes you look at something that looks so terrible, such a terrible crime was committed by a Yid, and, and yet there may, be, there may be sometimes a positive... A, a positive perspective on it or, or a way to look at it with a different pair of glasses where you can see things in where you can see things in an entirely different way. All right. That's my introduction uh, to today's shi. If you have a chumash in front of you, open up to this week's Parsha, Parsha's Kisisa. I'm going to start with Perak Lamar Aleph, Posuk Yudches. Perak Lamar Aleph, Posuk Yudches, actually the beginning of one of the longest alias in the Torah, which is the second Ali in this week's Pasha, Pasha's Kisisa, Shane. The Torah says, in the middle, the Torah here is in the middle of talking about all of the mitzvahs of, uh, with regard to the construction of the Mishkan. We've been introduced to Betzalel and Ohaliyav, uh, the master architects, the master designers of the Mishkan. We've been introduced to the mitzvah of Shabbos, reminding us that even the construction of the Mishkan may not desecrate the Shabbos, and then seemingly out of nowhere, 
The Torah goes back to a story that we were that we had heard in Pashas Yisro and Mishpatim. The Torah says, when Hashem concluded speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu in Har Sinai, Hashem gave him Shnei Luchais Eidos. The two Luchais referred to as the Luchais Eidos. Luchais Evan, they were tablets of stone, written by the finger of, of the Rabbanish Lailam himself. And then the Torah launches right into one of the most famous and one of the most painful stories, the story we know of the Egel Azov, the people saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was delayed in coming down from the mountain. The people gathered themselves around or, or, or next to Aaron. And they said to him, Come on, get up, make for us a lekim. Who will lead us. Because this man, Moshe, took us out of Mitzrayim, we don't know what happened to him. The Pesach, the Torah does not, uh, does not uh, give us a lot of, um, there's not a lot of real estate here dedicated to the story. The Torah goes right into it. Aaron tells them to gather the rings that were in their, the ears of their wives, their sons and their daughters, and to bring it to him. The people bring him golden rings that were in their own ears. The Pesach says, Pesach Dalet, Vayikach Miyodam, Aaron takes the rings, the golden rings from their hands, Vayotzar Oisai Bacheret, and he fashions it, Aaron makes it, he uses a tool called a cheret, Vayaseyu Egel Maseicho, and he makes this golden calf, he makes this, uh, he makes this calf, Vayoymru, and the people said, Eile Elekecho Yisrael, Asher Lucha Meret Mitzrayim, these are your gods. Who took you out of Mitzrayim? One more pasuk. Vayar Aaron and Aaron saw what happened. Vayiven mizbeach lefonav, and he builds a mizbeach in front of this, uh, in front of this egel masech, in front of this molten calf. Vayikru Aaron vayomer, and Aaron calls out. Aaron makes an announcement, and he says, "Chag Hashem Tomorrow is a yom tif for Hashem. Okay, the story of the the story of the Egel Azov, forty days after the giving of the Torah, forty days after the Jews heard from Hashem Himself, Anochi Hashem I am the only God. Don't worship idols. Forty days later, they worship they worship an idol. They worship this golden calf. Aaron builds a mizbeach in front of this this Egel. Aaron calls out, Chag Hashem Mochar, tomorrow will be a Yom Tif for Hashem. The Jewish people wake up early the next morning, they offer up sacrifices and they, to, to this Egel, to this, to this, to this calf, um, and, uh, and, and, they, and they make merry. They celebrate in front of this, uh, in front of this Egel Azov. Okay. <clears throat> In addition to the difficulty in understanding how in 40 days the Jews can go from the highest of the high, from standing at the foot of the mountain, experiencing a, a godly revelation that, that was and, and, and remains and always will be 
unparalleled in all of Jewish history. To, to 40 days later, descending to a level where, they, where they're bowing down to an idol. Um, all right, Rashi, the Gemara says very famously uh, that they were involved in murder, they, which we'll talk about a little bit. They were invo involved in incestuous relationships. Um, in addition to the difficulty in understanding how they go from here to here uh, in 40 days. And, and it wasn't even in 40 days because it seems like until the, the 39th day, everything was fine. You know, all that happened was that Moshe Rabbeinu was delayed in coming down from the mountains. How do they go from one minute thinking or realizing or being concerned with the fact that Moshe was delayed so one minute later, I mean, how do you go from zero to 60 in, in 0.6 of a second? In addition to that difficulty with the story, the other most obvious difficulty with the story was that literally jumps out of the page is that the entire thing is orchestrated and facilitated and enabled by Moshe Rabbeinu's brother, by Aaron. It seems to be Aaron's idea. It seems to be Aaron's execution. And it seems to be even encouraged or, or perpetuated by Aaron, about whom the Torah literally says, by even Mizbeach Lofonov, and, and Aaron built a Mizbeach in front of this, in front of this idol. And Aaron calls out, quote, Chag Hashem Mochar, tomorrow will be a Yomta for Hashem. All right, the, the commentaries explain very famously that the words Chag Hashem Mochar uh, were understood differently by the Jews than the way Aaron meant it. When Aaron said Chag Hashem Mochar, tomorrow is a Yom for Hashem, he meant that Moshe Rabbeinu will come down from the mountain and the Jewish people will see that Moshe Rabbeinu is alive, not dead as the Satan that showed them that he was in heaven, and the Jewish people will go back to serving Hashem, Chag Hashem Mochar. But the Jewish people who were already engaged or, or, or were already excited about serving, serving this eagle, when they heard Chag Lashem Mochra, they thought he was talking about the idol. And so they woke up early the next morning and they made it into a festival and they started offering sacrifices, etc. But even so, why would Aaron use these words, Chag Lashem Mochra, that could be misinterpreted in this way? I mean, who are we talking about over here? The brother of Moshe Rabbeinu, who made the Egel, Vayasehu Egel. Uh, um, he, he, he tells the Jews to bring the gold. He collects the gold. He, he, he makes a Mizbeach in front of this. I mean, this is a very obvious question that all the commentaries deal with um, and, and, and talk about how could, how could Aaron do such a thing? How could he facilitate such a thing? How could he play a part in such a thing? Ne never mind be what seems like the, the, the leader of the whole thing. Very, very difficult to understand. Okay. Later on, the Torah will say, Aaron himself, excuse me, will say that he didn't actually make the eagle. Later on in Perak, in, in Perak, in the same Perak, Perak Lamed Beis, Potsuk Chavdalet, Aaron will say that he didn't actually make the Egel, but just that he took the gold and he threw it into the fire. 
And this eagle, this calf, sort of came out on its own, um, which is also difficult to understand. It seems to be not the same story as the Torah said originally. Originally, the Torah, the Torah itself says, quote, that Aaron crafted this eagle, Bacheret. Bacheret is a, is a, uh, Bacheret is a graving tool. Rashi says, it's a professional tool that is used to engrave and carve. <coughs> so how does, it says Aaron, excuse me, is Aaron changing the story when he says, I threw the gold into the fire and this calf came out? This, this is difficult to understand. But in addition to which, the Torah says clearly again, later on, in Pasuk Lamed Hay, it says, Hashem that Hashem punished, punished the people, because they made the eagle. And the Torah says clearly, Aaron, that Aaron was the one who made it. Okay. I don't know, needless to say, I don't know that we'll be able to, to exhaust the topic uh, in these couple of minutes that we learn here. Um, of course, there are, you know, hundreds, thousands of commentary and, and perspective. There is, I, I, I want to mention, um, just for clarity's sake, there is the conventional understanding, which Rashi quotes, and uh, the Medrash quotes, and is, is the mainstream understanding, that Aaron was involved, that everything that Aaron did, he was doing as delay tactics. He was just desperately stalling for time. He saw where the Jews were at. He saw their perspective. He saw, you know, what was going on with them. He saw that they were in a psychological state and an emotional state that they couldn't be reasoned with. So he, he figured the best strategy was to just hold them off, to just, if we could just delay them long enough. He knew Moshe Rabbeinu was coming down. He, he knew it was just a question of time. He figured if we could just get the Jews to hang in there and wait long enough, we will be fine. You know, it's like sometimes a person, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous lesson in its own right. Sometimes a person gets into a psychological or emotional place where they're, whatever the case may be, they're angry, they're in pain, they're desperate, they're, they're you know, uh, they're, just, they're just in this place they cannot be reasoned with. If you cannot reason with a person, often the best thing you can do is just delay, just wait. Even if it's just as simple as 24 hours, everything can change in 24 hours. Sometimes just a little bit of time, you know, a meal, a sleep on it, a night's sleep is enough to snap the person out of, break the, click the person out of their psychological and emotional stuck state. And then from there on, they can, you know, you, you can reason with them and can move on from there. So Aaron was trying to delay, you know, there's a, there's a golden rule um, with written correspondence. If you've written a letter or an article or an email that is that is sharp, that is harsh, you know that is that that, that this this piece you've written is going to have consequences. So they always tell you what once you've written it up before you actually hit send, you know before you send it to the editor or put it in the mail or whatever the case may be. They always say wait twenty four hours, write it up, prepare, put a stamp on it, you know, put the address on it, prepare the email. Leave it in your drafts box just for 24 hours. And if you still feel the same way in 24 hours, give them the hate, send it. It's free country. You can say whatever you want. But give yourself that moment just to cool off. So this is the, the I don't mean simple chas as in superficial. This is, is the, 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 medrash, the Medrash says this, Rashid says this. 
This is the, the if you will, the mainstream understanding is that Aaron is desperately trying to, with the only tactic he has left against the Yetzirah, which is just to push, to kick this can down the road far enough so Moshe Rabbeinu can come down and the Jews can, can, can wake up. It doesn't work. The Pesach says the Jewish, the Jewish people wake up early the next morning and they immediately engage in Abu Nazar. They're in, they're in the clutches of the Yetzirah. But here there is a Rashi. Rashi quotes the Gemara. We'll study together uh, the Rashi and the Gemara because the Gemara is, is really, um, the Gemara is really Tzricho Talmud, so to speak. The Gemara really needs to be, this, it's a, it's a profound statement in the Gemara. It needs to be really studied and, and digested. But let's start with the Rashi. So the Rashi I want to read just a few lines of is Rashi and Posak Hey, Bayar Aaron, the Posak says, Aaron saw. And he built a Mizbeach, he built an, a, an altar in front of this eagle. Aaron, and Aaron calls out and he says, Tomorrow is a Yomtuf, tomorrow is a uh, is a Yomtuf, is a feast or a festival for Hashem. The second Rashi begins with the words, Tomorrow will be a Yomtuf. Says Rashi, not today. Again, a delay tactic. Aaron is hoping it will be delayed. Says Rashi, the Medrash in Vayikra Rabba Dvorim Harbe Ro Aaron, and it says Vayar Aaron. Aaron saw. What did he see? What did he see? He saw the eagle. Everybody saw the eagle, right? And it says Vayar Aaron means there was something that Aaron saw that nobody else saw. Says Rashi, Roachur ben Achoisoi, Shehoyom Mechicham, Baharogu. Aaron saw his nephew Chur had been slain by the Jewish people. The Jewish people murdered him. Shehoyom Mechicham, because he was rebuking them for what they did. And they killed him. The Zehu, Vayiven Mizbeach Lefonov. Vayoven mizavuach lefonov. Pay attention to this. The Possek says, Vayar Aaron Aaron saw, Vayiven mizbeach lefonov, and he built an altar in, in front of it. Now, you know, in the Torah, there is no Nakudas. You know, Nakudas are, um, Nakudas are those, Nakudas means dots. Nakudas are the dots that tell us how to pronounce letters or how to pronounce words. In the Torah, there's none of these dots. In the Chomoshim that we use, they have dots to tell us how to pronounce the words. In the Torah, in the Torah itself, there isn't, there, it, it isn't that way. The words Vayiven Mizbeach Lefonov can also be read as Vayoven Mizavuach Lefonov. And he understood from, from he who was slain, Mizavuach, from he who was slaughtered in front of him. Who was slaughtered in front of him? Excuse me. His own nephew, Chur. You see, Aaron has an older sister called Miriam. Miriam has a son called Chur. Aaron Vachur are usually chavrusas. They're usually partners, right? Aaron Vachur Tomchu Biyadov. Aaron and Chur go together until this point. At least twice in the Torah, Aaron and Chur are mentioned together. But now, Aaron, but now when Chur tries to rebuke the Jews for doing this, for what, what they were doing, the Jews slaughtered him. 
says Rashi, Vayoven Mizavuach Lefonov, Aaron sees this and he understands from he who is lying slaughtered in front of him. He understands something. And because of this, he goes along with it. Now, Rashi, interestingly, doesn't spell out exactly what it is that Aaron understands. But the Gemara makes this incredibly clear. Aaron understands that if he doesn't go along with this, if he doesn't facilitate this for the Jews, then the Jews are going to end up killing him. And so part of his motivation in going along with this is to save his own skin and to save his own life. And here I'm going to read to you from a, from a passage in the Gemara, Lesech the Sanhedrin, Dav Zayin Amun Aleph, three lines. Hold on to your heads. It's going to get good. Says the Gemara. Excuse me. Again, on this posuk, Vayar Aaron, and Aaron saw. This is again, this is the posuk in Periklam and Beis, posukai. Ma'ro, says the Gemara. What did Aaron see? Omar Rabban Yamin Bar Yefes, Omar Rabban Lozor. Rabban Yamin Bar Yefes said the name of Rabban Lozor. Ro'achur shezavuach lefana. He saw Chur, his nephew, lying dead in front of him. Omar, he said to him, Aaron said to himself, Im hashto, if I don't listen to them now, if I, says Aaron to the Jews, don't listen to them now, they're going to do to me what they did to Chur. They're going to kill me, says Aaron. And it's going to be fulfilled in me, says Aaron the Apostle, quote, Should a priest, a Koyen, and a Novi, a prophet, be killed in the base of Mikdash of Hashem? This is a Apostle from Megillas Echo. Yirmiyah, who wrote Megillas Echo, is prophesizing about the death of Zechariah when the Jews killed him, as I mentioned before. Says, Aaron, this is going to happen to me. And if it does happen to me, and then there would, the Jews will never be able to rectify this. Says, Aaron, if the Jews kill me, they will never, if the Jews kill me, says Aaron, we will never be able to fix this, ever. It's better, says Aaron, that the Jewish people should worship the eagle. Close quote. It's better that the Jews should worship the eagle. It's possible if they do, they'll be able to fix it through Teshuvah. Vayar Aaron says the Gemara, and Aaron saw that the Jewish people are going, if, if he doesn't make them, and if he doesn't make them the ego, if he doesn't go along with this, if he doesn't facilitate it, Aaron sees the Jewish people are going to kill him. And Aaron says there are two possibilities. Either the Jews kill me, Aaron, or the Jews will worship the ego. What's the difference? If the Jewish people kill me, says Aaron, there will be no takona, there will be no tikkun for the Jews forever. Whereas if they worship the golden calf, Efshir, it's possible, maybe, they'll be able to fix it through Teshuvah. Excuse me. 
so according to this, excuse me, perspective, according to this understanding, Aaron knows exactly what he's doing. He's going into this with two open eyes. He's not just delaying. He knows that what he's doing is going to be responsible for the Jewish people to, to, to worship the eagle. But Aaron says, actually, out of the two options that we have in front of us, the Jewish people worshiping the eagle is the better option. Why? Why is that the better option? Because the other option, says Aaron, is that they're going to kill me. And if they kill me, it's finished. There will be no takana for the Jews forever. This way, if they worship the eagle as of, at least after, it's possible they'll be able to do Tashim. In typical Talmudic style, that's it. That's all the Gemara says. And the Gemara moves on to other things. Now, first of all, was Aaron right or wrong? Was Aaron... This was Aaron's assessment. This was one of this. This was one of the the motives that was that was going on in his mind and in his heart. He was trying to save the Jewish people. Was he right or wrong? In other words, did he make the right decision or the wrong decision? Should he have allowed himself to die? Should he allow? Should he have allowed himself to be massacred rather than make the egel azov? This seems to be an argument between Rashi and Tosfos. Rashi seems to be saying Aaron was wrong. He should have allowed himself to be killed. Toysla seems to be saying is correct. He did the right thing. Was Aaron correct that his life was in danger and that if he didn't give them the eagle, they would have killed him? This is not contested, at least not that I've seen. Um, it seems it's 100% correct. The Jewish people are, are, are in a state. They're in a, they're in a place. They're in, in, a, in a headspace that is so tunnel vision. They're in, they're in such a psychological echo chamber. They can't see anything else. Anything that gets in their way, they're going to destroy. So is Aaron right that his own life is at stake here? To the best of my research and knowledge, this is not contested. All the commentaries say yes. Had Aaron not, had Aaron stood up to the Jews, they would have murdered him. The Medrash says even more. The Medrash says even more. It wasn't just Hur that was actually killed by the Jewish people. The Medrash says all of the Shivim Zakanim, all the 70 elders of the Jewish people, those 70 elders that were chosen by Moshe Rabbeinu, the ones who were there at Matan Torah, etc., etc., all of them stood up and, started, and, and attempted to prevent the Jews from doing this, and they were all killed. Aaron is correct. His own life is at stake. But if you listen carefully to what the Gemara is saying, the Gemara is saying Aaron is not acting out of self-preservation. He doesn't mind to die. He's not trying to protect his own skin. Aaron is saying if they kill me, the problem is there'll be no takana for them. They'll be doomed. If they worship the eagle, Efsher Havalu Takanta, they might be saved. Maybe yes, maybe no. What the Gemara definitely does not explain is why the sin of worshipping the golden calf was so much better than the sin of murdering Aaron that for one there is a takona and for one there isn't. One has a tikkun and one for killing Aaron, no tikkun. The Jews would be doomed forever. <clears throat> for the eagle, maybe. 
By the way, the fact that Aaron says that if they worship the eagle, there may be a takana, they takana b'tshuva, they may be able to do teshuva. It's clear what this means because as the story plays out, the Rabbeinu Shlolem wants to annihilate the Jewish people, all besides from Moshe Rabbeinu, kill them all. Moshe Rabbeinu begs and pleads and, and even at one point threatens. Only after that does the Rabbeinu Shlolem agree to accept the Jewish people's teshuva and, and, and for them to move on, etc. And even then, many of the Jews were killed in the process. At least 3,000 people were killed, and later on, I believe, even more. So it wasn't so simple at this point that, again, Aaron is, Aaron is a novi, as the Torah says, Aaron is a prophet, he can see what's coming. It's not so simple that the Jewish people are going to survive this, even if they do worship the Egel Azov. Aaron can see that their existence that the existence of the Jews is being th- is 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 um, the existence of the Jews is in question here. He's right about that. But what's novel, what's amazing here, is that Aaron says, "If they don't worship the, if, if they kill me, there'll be no takana for them. There'll be no takana for them forever." A few more points I want to make before I get to what I think is the is the neshama here is the is the kishkes of what's really going on. When Aaron says, "If they kill me, they'll have no takana, there'll be no takana forever," as opposed to if they worship the eagle, there may there may be a takana for them. It's important to understand what he's saying. What he's saying is the Jews are going to worship the eagle anyways. Right? It's not a question of are they going to do this Avera and not that Avera, or are they going to do that Avera and not this Avera. They're going to worship the eagle either way. They're going to do the sin of Avoid the Zohar either way. The only question is, are they also going to kill me in the process? Right? It wasn't as if that, that if the Jews would have killed Aaron, then, then they, would, they, they wouldn't serve Avoid the Zohar. They wouldn't, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't worship an eagle. It's possible that what the Gemara means is Aaron says, look, either way it's going to happen. If they kill me, they'll make the ego some other way, and then and then they'll still worship it, and they'll have both sins. Or if I don't, if I don't get in their way, if uh, if 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 I if I don't if I don't prevent them, then at least they'll worship idols, but at least they won't kill me. Another point I want to make. What consequence does Aaron himself face for this? What what punishment does does Aaron get here? In this parasha, the Torah doesn't speak about um, anything that happens to Aaron because of this. But later on in Parshas Ekev, in Devorim, when Moshe Rabbeinu repeats the story, there's a posuk there that says, Ba'aron his anafashem. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem got very angry with Aaron. And Hashem wanted to lashmido, Hashem wanted to annihilate him. Hashem wanted to wipe him out. Moshe Rabbeinu says, and I davened for Aaron at that time. Rashi says there in Parshas Ekev that Hashem wanted to, because of this, because of what Aaron did, Hashem wanted to kill Rahman Lislan, Aaron's four sons. Moshe says, I davened for Aaron and my tefillah was half successful. Only two of his sons died, not the Venaviu, not the other two. 
Now, of course, none of the Navihu died without children. But through that survive, Elazar and Isamar, they do have children. All of the Koyanim that we have, all the Koyanim that we have in the world today are all descendants of the two remaining living sons of Aaron, who would have been destroyed because of Hashem's anger against Aaron. If not for the tefillah of Moshe Rabbeinu that saves at least these two sons of Aaron. And so, and, 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 so all, and so all the koinim come from this. Okay. One more point. Back in the Rashi that we're quoting, Rashi adds one more line. Rashi says, Omar. Aaron also sees and says, Aaron says, you know something? If there's an Avera that has to happen here, let it be on me and not on them. Let Aaron takes the fall for the Jewish people. He says, if someone's going to commit a sin here, if it's going to happen anyways, right? Like I said before, if it's going to happen anyways, let it be on me and not on them. And so Aaron takes, takes the blame, takes the fall for the Jewish people. Okay. These are some of the, uh, these are some of the insights, some of the ideas in the Gaborin and the Medrash. I want to take a couple of minutes and I want to go to the Kishkas here. I want to get to the, to the Neshama. And I want to actually try to digest for a minute this statement of Aaron. Aaron says, if the Jewish people kill me, it'll happen to me, it'll be fulfilled on me. And there'll be no takona for the Jews forever. Whereas it's better, he says, that they should serve the eagle. In other words, serve the eagle and not kill Aaron. Perhaps, perhaps there'll be a takana for them through tshuva. Okay. This pasuk in Yehoreg b'miktas Hashem koyen v'novi, as I mentioned before, was fulfilled. It was fulfilled on Zechariah in the times of the first base of Mikdash. And the Gemara says in Masech the Gitin when it describes. The, the carnage, the, the bloodshed that took place in the times of the first base of Mikdash, in the times of the destruction of the first base of Mikdash, the Gemara says there was a very famous, uh, a very famous human butcher. There was a very famous, there was a very famous murderer, sadistic, anti-Semite, cruel human being called Nuvuzradon, if I remember correctly. Nuvuzradon, yeah. It was rather the, the, when it came time to destroy the first base of Mikdash, um, was there. And as he walked into the base of Mikdash, he saw the blood of Zachariah in the place where he had been killed, was sitting on the floor and it was bubbling. For 250 years, the blood of Zachariah was lying on the floor of the base of Mikdash, bubbling. And if Vuzradan says, What is this? And uh, the, people are, the people are ashamed and in fear that Nebuzaradan is going to use this as an excuse to kill them. They lied to him. They told him it was the blood of sacrifices of animals. Anyways, the Gemara says they shechted an animal. They compared the blood. They saw it wasn't the same. And so Nebuzaradan said, said, the, said to them, the people there, the Jews there, you either tell me the truth or I'll rake the flesh off, off, your, off your bodies with, with, you know, with cruelty. And they tell him that they told him the story. We killed one of our own Nevi'im. And the Gemara says that he 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 told 
that be, and, they, and they told him that before this Novi was killed, he said to the Jews, if you kill me, Hashem will avenge my blood. And it's still sitting here and it's still bubbling. And the Gemara says, Nebuzaradan killed 940,000 Jews and let their blood fall on the blood of Zechariah. He brought Kaihanim. He brought the big, the Sanhedrin Doyla, Sanhedrin Tana. He brought children, Rahman Islam. He brought the... And the blood was still bubbling. It was rather after 940,000, he brought Kirchai Kaihana. He killed every, he killed 940,000 Jews in an effort, in an attempt to get this blood to, to, to appease the death of, of Zechariah. And it still didn't work. The Gemara says, Nevozradan bent down and talked to the bubbling blood on the floor, representing Zechariah. He said, Zechariah, I've killed the finest of your people. Do you want me to kill them all? And the blood stopped. Stop bubbling. And then in, in the most fascinating and, and I should say typical uh, uh, Talmudic Midrashic style, the Gemara says, Nevuzradon, after he had done that, said to himself, wait a second. If that is, Nevuzradon said to himself, wait a second. Nevuzradon said, what's going on here? If the revenge, if, if the vengeance for killing one Jew, Zachariah, is what I just did here for the Jewish people, then could you imagine the vengeance that's waiting for me, Nevuzradon himself, after what I did for the Jewish people? You know, just jaw-dropping, fascinating Talmudic passage. The Gemara says he ran away and he converted, he became a ger. He sent a message to his to his home, to his family, telling them what to do with his financial assets. And, and, he, is, and he himself became a ger. Aaron says, if they kill me and I become the there'll be no takona for the Jews forever. Okay. What does this mean? Whereas if they worship, if they just worship the ego, after it's may, maybe, maybe they'll have a takona through Teshuvah. <clears throat> The truth is, the truth is that it doesn't really make sense with all of the explanations. It doesn't really make sense that the Jews would descend so far spiritually so fast to, to a level where they're worshiping idols and, and committing murder. And again, as I mentioned before, Rashi says there was Gilui Arias, there was incestual relationships involved as well. I mean, this is this is just this is just astounding. Doesn't really make any sense. They, they, Moshe Rabbeinu was delayed. Okay, so Moshe Rabbeinu was delayed. So, 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 so therefore you go to, uh, therefore you get to avoid the Zoragila Raisa It's very, very difficult, very difficult to understand. Like what even, what even happened? I mean, or, or, or how it happened. The Gemara says in, in Masech Tavoy very famously, the Gemara says that the Rabboni Shalom kind of coordinated it, if you will, or, or allowed the Jews to, to get into this really insane state of mind and being that would allow them to do this, just to, to lose touch completely with, 
you know, with, with, with everything that's going on. And the Gemara says that there's a reason for it. The reason is Hashem wanted the Jews after this to do Teshuvah, to experience Teshuvah, to become Balei Teshuvah, and to be elevated to a higher level than before. It was, all right, <laughs> this explanation also needs a lot of explanation. But be it as it may, this is, this is not a novel idea. The Rabbanu Shloilam has his hand in this as well, coordinating, facilitating that, that the Jews should be challenged spiritually, if you will, get to a place, you know, where, they, where they're vulnerable to sin. Because from this, of, of course, can eventually come to Shuba. The Jews can, can discover themselves and, you know, get to the root and, you know, and, 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 and reach a higher level, right? There's that famous teaching, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu goes up at Har Sinai to accept the Torah, and the Malachim are protesting, the Malachim are saying, we want the Torah, and Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, explain to them that, that a Jew is capable of doing Teshuvah. So what, is it, so, so what does it actually mean? What it means is that when the Jew, when the Jew stood at the presence of Har Sinai, they, they had an out-of-body experience. Literally an out-of-body experience. They, they, you know, they, they, their souls left their bodies. Hashem spoke to them. They were experiencing godliness, you know, in, in, in a very real way. But that was, that was a fleeting moment. When the moment was over, the Jews crash-landed back into reality. And uh, they, ha they have to learn to carry this message of Anoichi Hashem Alakecha. And lo yilacho lakim in a daily life, on a daily level, in, in you know, in their in their own simple lives, and so the story of the Egel Azov, the story of the of, of the sin of the Jews, of their of their failure, if you will, to 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 follow the single instruction that they got from Hashem directly. On a deeper level, what it captures is it captures the human struggle to to do our best to live the way Hashem wants us to with our own imperfections, with our own tendencies, with our own, you know, the Gemara calls it ruashtus, with our own spirit of insanity that takes over us every now and then, and, and the ability to pick ourselves up when we fall and dust ourselves off and say, okay, we'll try, we'll try better tomorrow. This is, you know, <clears throat> on a deeper level, the meaning of the story, again, uh, it doesn't, necessarily explain every angle of the story or every detail of the story, but, but on a deeper level, what the Torah is trying to say is, look, just because one moment you're standing in, in the presence of Arsinai and, and, and seeing great miracles, or you're standing in Yom Kippur in Shul and you're saying Hashem Walakim, doesn't mean the next moment you're not going to fall into bad habits and into, into bad patterns and into a world of reality that's very foreign to the one you just experienced. And it's very much part of the experience of being a Yid. We have a godly soul, we have an animal soul, we have a soul, we have a body, we're connected above, we're connected below, we, we, we struggle, right? Very normal, very common, very, very much part of life. This is the way it always was. Until Mashiach comes, this is, this is the way it always will be. Um, and, and so it is, the, the point of the story is not just that the Jews soiled themselves spiritually in the ugliest and most grotesque way possible, committing the three cardinal sins of murder, incest, and, and idol worship. 
the story is that the Jewish people were able after that to do Teshuvah and, and to the best of their ability and beg forgiveness and dive into Hashem and Hashem even forgave them for, to, to one degree or another. When Hashem did forgive the Jews for the sin, for the, for the Aveir of the Egel Azov, that was when Hashem gave the Jews the mitzvah to build the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. Vosali Mikdash Veshachanti Besoichem, the Tanchuma says, the Beis HaMikdash, the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash was to be an eternal embodiment of the Rabbeinu Shalom's forgiveness for the Jews. That's what happened. Now Aaron is standing there and Aaron says, okay, one of two things are going to happen here. They're either going to I'm either going to make the golden calf for them and they're going to worship it or they're going to kill me. Says Aaron, if they kill me, there's no takona. There'll be no, there'll be no takona for the Jews forever. Perhaps what that means is that because Aaron was destined to be the coin god, the one who would eventually offer up the sacrifices in the base of Mekdash, the Mishkan, because his sons in the Mishkan, because his sons would be Kohanim, the ones who would worship for all eternity, please God, to, when Mashiach comes, it'll be speedily in our days, it'll be restored. Because they will be the ones who, who worship in the base of Mikdash. So they are the icons, the ones who represent the Shem. The ones who, the ones who will worship in the base of Mikdash and the, and the Mishkan, a building which is erected to be the icon, to be that which represents the place where Hashem and the Jews reconcile. Says Aaron to himself, if they kill me, there will be no takona for the Jews. Then the, the, the purpose, the real reason why all of this is going on, for the Jews to discover that you can go to the darkest of spiritual places, and then return with Teshuvah, Aaron says, I'm the one who facilitates this for the Jewish people. If they're going to sin, says Aaron, then I need to be the one who, who makes sure, number one, that I survive this so that I can help the Jews do Teshuvah afterwards. And number two, not just that I survive this, but I'm the one who facilitates this, if you will, so that it's clear that the entire purpose of the sin it's just in order that afterwards the Jewish people can, 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 can build a Mishkan where Aaron will serve and, and, and bring sacrifices to Hashem. To make my point a little clearer, we all know that Aaron is the one who brings peace between Jews. Yes? How does he do this? He goes to two Jews, a husband and a wife, two people in a business, business dispute, and he goes to both of them and he tells them the other person wants to make up with you. All right. There's a part, there's a nuance here that I think people neglect to mention. When Aaron would go to Reuven and says, Shimon wants to make up with you. Aaron would say, Shimon is embarrassed of what he did. Aaron would go to one Yid and say, the other Yid has committed a sin. He's involved in dispute. He's involved in fighting with another Jew. The greatest of all sins. Says Aaron to the Yid, you should know the other Yid wants to do Teshuvah. He's embarrassed of what he did. My job as Aaron Akoyan and, and through Aaron Akoyan, his sons, his surviving sons and their sons till the Kohanim till today, 
Their job is to say that which the Jew himself has shame in saying. I'm embarrassed. A Jew is embarrassed to say, I, I, I know that I've soiled myself. I know that I've, that I've dirtied myself. I'm embarrassed of it. Aaron is the one. Aaron Bedavka is the one who can sort of bridge this gap and say to a Jew, okay, there's a path. There's a path here for tshuva. Perhaps on a deeper level, that's what Aaron means. When Aaron says, if they kill me, there's no takona for them. There's no takona for them, meaning Aaron says, I'm the one. My job. And again, Aaron through his sons, Kohanan for all eternity, who will offer up Karbonus in the Beis Hamikdash, which will be the way the Jewish people will attain Kapora. As Kohanan, their position is the one to, to facilitate, to Gently and comfortably cajole the Jew into facing that what that which it is that we're embarrassed to face. What is it about ourselves that we're embarrassed to face? We're embarrassed. We're embarrassed to face and to admit our own uh, where, where we mess up. We're embarrassed to 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 acknowledge our own dirt, our own our own darkness. And Aaron is the one who puts his arm, you know, around the shoulder of a yid and says, "It's okay." It's okay. As Rabbi Nachman of Breslov said very famously, if you believe, if you believe that it's possible to damage and to hurt and to destroy, believe that you can also fix things. And that's Aaron's job. And maybe in a spiritual sense, I'm going to go so far as to say, maybe in a spiritual sense, that's the reason why the Torah says that the whole thing is made by Aaron. From the beginning till the end. Aaron gives the, the Jews the idea. Aaron collects the gold. Aaron either throws it into the fire or, or, or makes the eagle himself. Aaron builds the Mizbeach. Aaron calls out, Chag Lashem Bochar. All the thing is Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. Why Aaron? And interestingly, and as much as, as, as Aaron did, he's still the one who serves in the base of Mikdash. And, and Moshe made a his son survived. And, and they're the Kohanim for all eternity. Because the, the fact that Aaron's name and Aaron's position and Aaron's presence is weaved and sewn throughout the entire story of the ego. Perhaps this is the Torah's way of giving us perspective on the story. The ugliest of spiritual stories and Aaron's presence is there throughout. As if to say, no matter how, no matter how badly the Jew, no matter how badly we fall into the clutches of the Yetzirah, no matter how the Yetzirah gets into our heads and, and, and possesses us, if you will, in the thick of darkness, a Jew needs to always remember that there is an Aaron, there is an Oy of Yisrael, there's a lover of Jews who's there together with them. And when a Jew knows that Aaron Akoyan is there together with them, they can always do Teshuvah, no matter what. You see, the hardest part for a Jew is to see it in themselves, is to believe it in themselves. That's, that's the hardest part. But once the Jew, once, once the Aaron HaKoyen comes and touches the Neshama of Yid and says, listen, despite everything that you're going through, despite, you see, don't forget, don't forget, these are these Jews that we're talking about here. They've just come out of Mitzrayim. We're talking about we're talking about about 90, what is it, 50, 
50 days since Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim till Matantaira, plus another 40 days, 50 in front of him, 90 days, three months after the Jewish people left Egypt. After the abuse that they'd been through for 210 years, after their babies were ripped out of their arms and put into walls and put into, thrown into the Nile River, after Pare was bathing in Jewish blood. I mean, these are people who've been through abuse and trauma on the highest of levels. Yes, they experienced Matan Torah, of course. Yes, they were chosen to be Hashem's, to be Hashem's chosen nation. But, but the scars, the pain that they're carrying around to heal these Jews, you need an Aaron Akoyan who is an Oyev Sholem, Varoyed of Sholem, who will look at the Jews and kiss them and say, I love you. And I know that you're not doing this because this is what you really want to do. I know that you're doing this because you're hurting. Aaron says, but people who are in pain will sometimes inflict the most amount, amount of damage upon themselves. Aaron says, they'll kill me if I'm not careful. Now, why would they want to do that? Why would the Jews want to kill the one person who would be there to, 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 to defend them and to love them and, and, and to embrace them in the most painful and difficult of moments? Why would they do that? There's no logical reason for that because people who are in so much pain act out in irrational ways. Aaron says, I need to protect myself. And if for whatever divine reason the Jewish people need to go through the darkest of spiritual corridors, Aaron says, I'll be with that Jew every step of the way. In our own lives, sometimes we go through our own challenges. We go through sometimes our own testing, tested and trying moments. The Gemara says, this story is, gives a pischoin pe for a Balchuma. Let no Jew ever say after what I've been through and after what I've done, I cannot do Teshuvah, I cannot fix if the Jews could go through the Egel Azov and emerge from it, then so can we. And just as the Jews in those days had an Aaron Akoyan, a Jew who believed in them, able to get through it, so it is our responsibility to be there and to believe in every other Jew, in their deep, in the Neshama, in their deep, embedded holiness, purity, and goodness, and to find it in, to find it in every single Yid. Have a wonderful Shabbos.